It would uh, be superfluous for me to say that I am happy to be here at Woodland Baptist Church tonight because at my age, I'm happy to be anywhere in the world, okay? <laughs> but it is a great joy to be here. Pastor mentioned that in 1967, uh, the Woodland Baptist Church took my wife and I on for support. Uh, that was when we were in Japan as missionaries, and God was doing an unbelievably great thing there. In fact, the uh, first church that we started in Japan, the Sydney Newtown Baptist Church in Osaka, the very first service we had, we had 11 people saved. Among those 11 people that were saved, there was a young man that the first thing he said to me when he came in, he said, uh, Mr. Sisk, I understand you're preaching to an interpreter tonight. Uh, I'd only been in Japan for a year, so I wasn't preaching in Japanese yet. He said, I'm, I'm an English major at Kansai University, and I came here tonight to practice my English. And I had two real bad thoughts. I thought I didn't come 7,000 miles so somebody could practice English. <laughs> then I thought my Kentucky English is nothing for anybody to practice on, Okay. <laughs> So we're both in bad shape. But guess what? That night, I gave an invitation. The very first service we had in that church, gave an invitation, and 11 people lifted their hand and was dealt with for salvation. Among those 11 was that young man. And after three and a half years, he became the pastor of that church and has pastored it for the past 54 years. Uh, it is, by the way, and this is nothing for me to brag about, it's all of God, but it's the largest Baptist church in the country of Japan. Uh, last year, they gave over $300,000 to missions. And uh, they have over 65 people out of that church that are in full-time Christian ministry all over the world. Now, I say that to say this, and I could go ahead and tell you about the other churches we started, uh, the uh, uh, opportunity to serve as the Far Eastern Director of BIMI, and uh, later as the uh, President and General Director, and then uh, to teach missions at uh, West Coast Baptist College and preach in some 1,700 mission conferences. You say, well, you ought about to be finished, and I think I am, okay? But uh, I say that to say this, okay? Everything that God has used me to do in those last, uh, let's see, what would it be, 54 years can be attributed to the account of Woodland Baptist Church. Remember what Paul said when he was writing the church of Philippi? He was thinking them, and he said, you sent once and again to my necessity. And then he said, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Okay? So everything that God has done in uh, the ministry that he has given in our hand, uh, that can be put to your account. Uh, I was in uh, Lewis Avenue Baptist Church several months ago. We, we had dinner in the basement, and uh, I was walking up the steps to the auditorium for the service. There's a beautiful little girl, probably seven or eight years old, standing at the top of the step. She looked it down at me, Brother Gammons, and said, you look old. And I said, "Hun, the reason I look old is because I am old. <laughs> and about uh, six months after that, 
I was over at Wilson, North Carolina, and Pastor Joseph Curry and myself and his wife were eating uh, a wonderful steak. If you ever go to Wilson, North Carolina, uh, go to the steakhouse, okay? It's the best in the world. Anyway, that's an advertisement for that. They pay me for that, okay? <laughs> but uh, uh, his, his wife looked at me and she said, Brother Sis, and she was uh, raised up in the Temple Baptist Church in Herndon, Virginia. And she said, uh, I remember you coming to our church when I was a little girl. And she said, you were old then, okay? <laughs> and I said, I've been old a long time. Uh, on the 30th of May was my uh, 88th birthday. And somebody said, well, birthdays are just a number. And I said, yeah, but 88 is a big number, amen. <laughs> Open your Bibles tonight. Very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 6. Brother Gammons, thank you for the opportunity to come here tonight and uh, to, to thank the dear people of Woodland Baptist Church for helping us in so many ways. Not only your financial gifts, but thank God for your praying, which is far more important than the money that we give. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. You follow me in your Bible as I read. Lay that up for yourself, treasures up on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then a very insightful thought. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look down at verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air. By the way, don't ever make fun of bird watchers, okay? God said, look at them. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Amen. Are you not much better than they? And why take ye thought, or, or which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for the remnant Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of them. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cut into the, uh, or cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take thought 
of the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Dear Lord, I'd sure like to be a blessing to your people. They've been a blessing to me for many, many years. And I know, dear Lord, the only way that could happen would be that you would use me for your honor and your glory. Best I know how I commit myself to you. I pray that you will anoint my tongue that I could speak right. My mind that I could think right. My heart that I would be right. And dear Lord, whatever you do tonight or any time in our lives, we'll be more than happy to bend our knees, bow our heads, and give you all the honor and all the glory. Amen. At the passage I've read tonight, you are very familiar with. It is a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, turn your Bibles back a couple of chapters to chapter 5 and look at verses 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now notice the next verse. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Okay? The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is training his disciples. By the way, if you have been saved by the grace of God, you are a disciple of the Lord. May not be a good disciple, but you are a disciple of the Lord. So what he's saying in this passage, not only applied to them in that day, but it applies to you and to me today. Now think about it. Jesus was a man. In fact, he was as much man as if he had not been God. But Jesus was God. And he was as much God as if he had not been man. So when he, he was not half God and half man. He was the God-man. Emmanuel, God with us. Now he's looking at his disciples like he's looking at us tonight. Anything? Now, you don't know all these things yet, but I'm going to be crucified. People are going to try me in the most unjust trial in the history of mankind. They're going to beat me with rods. They're going to scourge me. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head. They're going to crucify me. And they're going to bury me in the tomb. But I'm going to be resurrected from that tomb. And after I'm resurrected, I'm going to meet with my disciples for several days. And he did. He met them on various occasions. And every time he met them, check it, all of the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus Christ, 
he was urging them to get involved in bringing the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. He knew. He was going to say to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is that good news or not? You can't take the gospel to the wrong address. He knew he was going to say to them, you shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. He knew he was going to say, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And guess what? Jesus knew what his disciples were thinking. That, that's kind of scary sometimes, but he knows what you're thinking. And he knows what I'm thinking. And he knew that when he urged them to get totally involved in reaching all of the people of the world with the gospel message. They were going to have questions. I mean, if I do that, how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to pay for my house? How am I going to have food to eat for my family? And all of these things. And in this passage, Jesus teaches them how to face that situation. I want to recall, I call to you three simple words. And since uh, Pastor said at Woodland, if it's not alliterated, it's not preaching. <laughs> so I'm going to preach tonight, Brother Gallant. But I, I want us to think about three things that Jesus reminded them. And by the way, I believe in the depth of my heart. All any of us have to do is find out what God wants us to do and then do it. So first of all, look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barn. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Now look at the statement. Your heavenly Father. So he reminds the disciples of their position. What is my position tonight? What is your position? If you've been born again by the Spirit of God... You are a child of God. Twelve times in this chapter, you'll find the word Father. God wants us to know that He is our Father. Hey, by the way, everybody is not a child of God. The fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man is not a Bible doctrine. It is a false doctrine. Yes, sir. 
The Bible teaches this very plainly. We become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And by the way, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Now, I love my grandchildren. And I really love my great-grandchildren, okay? But God didn't have any grandchildren. So you're not going to heaven because you was born in a Christian home. In order to become a child of God, you have personally got to realize that you are lost and on your way to hell, and you cannot save yourself and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus said it very plainly. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I was born the first time, May the 30th, 1933. Was any, is anybody that old that you were born then or after that? Uh, I can't see anybody, but I can't see anyway, okay? Now, when I was born in 1933, I was born into abject poverty. Poverty that most of you don't know anything about. You think about it. When I was born in 1933, my dad was a coal miner. Probably made $20, $30 a week working like a slave in a coal mine. We had no automobile. We had no television. We had no radio. Uh, we had no telephone. Uh, we had no wall-to-wall -wall carpet. In fact, we didn't have wall-to-wall -wall flooring. You could look through the cracks and see the dirt someplace like that. I mean, I was born into abject poverty. Third Sunday, Saturday night in October 1949, when I was 16 years old, a high school friend of mine invited me to go to the Youth for Christ meeting. And I did. I went with him. And that night, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And uh, I was born into the family of God. And by the way, he is rich. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, wait a minute. If God wants you to do something, if God is telling you something you need to do, something you need to give, you don't have to worry about it. Just remember, you do it, and your Father will take care of you. I only have two children, so I'm not, Virginia and I were not scriptural. The Bible says multiply and replenish the earth, and all we did was replace ourselves, okay? <laughs> but I've got some missionaries that's helped me on the average. Some of them have 10 or 12, okay? Now I remember our, our son, probably the first three years, uh, first three years in, in school, was one of the shortest kids in the class. And then about the fourth grade, he began to grow. And I, I mean, you could not keep him in shoes. You could not keep him in... By the time you bought them and he wore them for a little, you know, and then he began to eat like a horse. You couldn't fill him up. But I never one time got home and caught Tim sitting around worrying. Wow. 
Wonder if I'll ever get any more shoes. Wonder if I'll ever get any more trousers. Wonder if I'll ever get anything else to eat. You know what? You could have said to Tim, Tim, don't you know trousers are expensive, shoes are expensive, food's expensive? You know what Tim would have said? That's not my problem. That's my dad's problem. Hey, by the way, best I could, I took care of him. I never will forget. He sent me a Father's Day card one year and said, to my dear dad who would give me his last dollar, from your son who would take it, okay? <laughs> Some of you have got boys like that, okay? By the way, at one time, Tim had three children in college at the same time. That was his problem, amen? <laughs> what goes around comes around, okay? Think about it. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. You don't have to worry about where you're going. You don't have to worry about that. Your heavenly Father will take... Uh, look, if you would, uh, over in verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, and, 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 which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we eat? For after all these things do the gen people that don't know God, that, that's what they think about. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Hey, your Father knows what you need. Now, I may know what you need, but that wouldn't help you, amen? I wouldn't be able to provide it. But what it means is here, your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he is able to provide it. And he will provide it. So, think about your position tonight. You are a child of God. If you're not, in a few minutes we'll give an invitation. If you'd come forward, somebody will take the Bible, the Word of God, and show you how you can know for sure that you are a child of God and on your way to heaven. position. Now look at verses 19 and 20. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust is corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust is corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now, now here's the word for that verse, those verses, okay? And the word is Priority. Get your priorities right. Uh, in verse 19, he says, that Don't be overly concerned about laying up treasures on the earth. Why? Because they're all going to pass away. You think about it tonight. Anything I call mine, any materialistic thing I call mine, one day will not be mine. Uh, one day Jesus is coming. And by the way, when he comes, I'm not going to take anything with me. If he doesn't come soon, then I'm going to die. Uh, but, but when I die, I'm not going to take anything with me. 
You've heard the question. Anybody of any wealth dies, one of the first questions somebody, I wonder how much he left. And the answer is always the same. He left it all. He didn't take any of it with him. Somebody as well said, where there's a will, there's a lot of relatives. Amen. <laughs> Why get so involved? Why use your time, your talent, your treasures for earthly, temporal things and neglect the things of God? I mean, you're not going to live very long on this earth. And even if you live as long as I do, 85 years, that is nothing, nothing compared to eternity. Anything you have, anything bad can happen to it. Moth, rust. You buy a new suit. Buy a new dress. First thing you know, uh, it's shrunk. <laughs> or you expanded. You buy a new car, it begins to rust, begins to deteriorate and so forth. Doesn't matter what it is. Uh, thieves don't have to break through and steal today. Thieves can steal you blind just by stealing your identity. So anything bad, anything you have, materialistically speaking, anything bad can happen to it. And one day, none of it will be yours anyway. Now in contrast to that, look at verse 20. But lay up yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust are corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Wow! Is that great or not? In First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Peter gives us these words, Blessed be the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen. To an inheritance. You say, uh, I don't have any wealthy relatives and they die, I won't have, but if you're a born again child of God, you're going to have an inheritance. To an inheritance, now listen to it, to an inheritance incorruptible, no moth, no rust, and undefiled, and it fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's an old cliche, but it's blessed. Only one life to live, it will soon be passed. And it's only what's done for Christ that will last. Check your priorities. Think about your position. Check your priorities. Where are your priorities? And by the way, Jesus said very plainly, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? When you bring your tithe and offering into the house of God, you're laying up treasures in heaven. When you bring your missionary offering into the house of God and give it so the missionaries can go around the world and preach the gospel, you're laying up treasures in heaven. When you're praying, when you're soul winning, uh, when you're reading your Bible, when you're doing spiritual things, you are laying up treasures in heaven. Now the sad thing is, 
most of God's people are so involved in earthly temporal things that they never get heavily involved in spiritual eternal things. Do a checkup tonight. Where is your priority? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now look over in verse 32. For after all these things, in other words, he's saying, don't worry about your, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't, for after all these things, do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Now look at verse 33 real closely. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What thing? What you need to eat, what you need to wear, where you need to live, all these things shall be added unto you. So notice the wonderful promise. Your position, think about it. Great position, amen. Your priorities, check them every once in a while. Where am I spending most of my time and most of my talent and most of my treasures? And then the promise of God. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, Dr. Herbert Lockyer tells us there are well over 7,000 promises that God has made to mankind. And Solomon in his dedicatory prayer reminds us that there has not failed one word of all his good promises. Now, there are two kinds of promises in the Bible. There are unconditional promises. For instance, in, in John 14, Jesus said, and I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. In other I will come again. And uh, that promise is made many times. By the way, it doesn't matter what you think or have, it's going to, he's going to come. Yeah. I heard a dummy a few months ago saying, Forget it, he's not coming. And I thought, how dumb can you be? The Bible says he's coming. He's coming, amen. May not be immediate, but it is imminent. May not be soon, but it could be any moment. Any moment of the day. Thank God he could come tonight. Wouldn't that be great? Now, I heard a man pray the other day. Uh, dear, dear God, I pray you will send your son back for us to get us out of all this mess. And you know what? He wasn't praying for the appearance of Jesus. He was praying for his disappearance. No, the reason Jesus is coming is not to get us out of some kind of a mess. He's coming because he said he would do. And by the way, when he does, I mean, all the glorious things are going to happen. Let me give you a paraphrase of verse 33. You say, I don't like paraphrases. I don't either. But this is a Don says paraphrase, okay? I like it. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Here it is. You take care of God's business. Seek you first the kingdom of God. You take care of God's business. And God will take care of you. Is that good or not? Many years ago, I was in Prattville, Alabama. 
Pastor and I got into a visit. We didn't get to go to the restaurant until about 1.30, and nobody was in line. It's one of those restaurants where you go through a steakhouse, you get your tray, get your utensils, you give your order, and we were standing in line. Nobody else in line. A young man came in the front door, and he could see us when he came in. And when he saw me, he began to say, I know you, I know you, I know, I mean, he got all excited. I know you, I know who you are. And I thought, why is he so excited about knowing me? And then he said, you're Sam Walton. <laughs> and I turned around to Roger and I said, Roger, I can't go anywhere anymore without somebody recognizing me. <laughs> and he thought he had met the richest man on the earth. And I said, son, I'm, I'm not Sam Walton. I'm a Baptist preacher. And it was like letting air out of a balloon. <laughs> Several, I'd, I'd read a couple of biographies of Sam Walton. And uh, a couple of years after that incident, Virginia and I were going to Arkansas. It wasn't very far from Bentonville, where Sam Walton lived. And, and I said to Virginia, would, would it be something if I could get down there and go to Bentonville, where Sam Walton eats every morning when he's in town? And someone would introduce me to Sam Walton, and uh, we'd become friends. Wouldn't it be bad to have a friend like Sam Walton, amen? And one day we'd be eating, and Sam would say to me, he'd say, Don, tell you what let's do. Let you and I pool our resources. You put all your money in the pool, and I'll put all my money in the pool. Now, they say at that time he controlled $24 billion. On a good day, I could come up with $24, okay? <laughs> Hey, don't laugh. That's a big pool. We'd meet together after that, and I'd say, Now, Sam, it's our money, but use every amount you need. And he'd say to me, Don, same thing. It's our money, but you use anything. Would that be a good deal for me? That would have been a great deal, amen? But let me tell you, you got a better deal than that. 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 It's not Sam Walton that controlled $24 billion, but tonight does not control one penny. But it's the sovereign God of the universe that says to every born-again child of God, if you'll take care of my business, if you'll take care of my business, if you'll take care of my business, I'll take care of you. And I'm glad I learned, Brother Gammons, as a young man, that it was not my business to take care of Don Sis, that I had a Heavenly Father, and it was my business to take care of his business. And if I would take care of his business, he'd take care of me. Could I testify? He's done a good job, ain't he? You take care of God's business. Don't worry about all the other things, okay? You take care of God's business, and God will take care of you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Pastor, come and lead us, would you?